0: Peter confronts Jesus and immediately regrets it, and Jesus owns the Pharisees with facts and logic. Welcome today, the Gospel, equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment. We are halfway through the Gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. and we're going to continue today. It's going to be awesome. So That's right. major That's themes right. in the Gospel of Mark, briefly.
1: Well, I'm just so excited to hear this. What we're going to talk about today because of that intro. Oh um, man, I'm really I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be good. Facts and logic. That's wow. Um, some of the themes we've seen in, 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 Ma- uh, in Mark are this action orientation, mm-hmm. his repeated use of the word immediately, yep. which is euthus in Greek, right? Immediately, Jesus does this. And immediately, not meaning that he does it without any space of time in between, but it's focusing on that action, the the movement of Jesus. Oh, Mark, it's, like a, thing thing. it's like an action movie. You know? It is. One yeah, time, it really action. is. Yeah. Um, and then we see that, that a lot of miracles are recorded in Gospel of Mark, that he's focused on what Jesus is doing. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's an action-focused. It's focusing on Jesus as the servant mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it's asking the question throughout, who is Jesus? Mm. Who is this person? And the book is structured around that, and it's revealed that he is the Son of God. Mm. So we're seeing that again and again as a theme, and we'll see it again today. So, uh, And then we see a big focus on the passion narrative. We'll start to get into that today and then one thing i think is very important for us to see is the focus on the high cost of following jesus Mm. what does it mean to be a disciple of jesus so who is he how do i follow him that's what this book is all about and it's calling us to respond to the gospel and to consider ourselves to place ourselves really in the place of the disciples Mm -hmm. and to respond to the call of jesus
0: yeah amen
1: awesome so so
0: how's how's the book structured
1: um yeah so we the first half of the book is about the galilean ministry of jesus um so we're seeing seeing his ministry publicly in the north of israel Mm -hmm. then there's a turning point in chapter 8 verse 31 where he begins to journey toward jerusalem and then the, the last six chapters 11 to 16 are all about the passion week so his his trials death burial, resurrection.
0: Awesome. Easy structure. Very easy. So we have noticed in a few, you know, if you look at, kind of compare all the Gospels, you do notice that Mark is a little hard on his friends in this particular Gospel. Yeah. You know, he, he draws out a lot of their, uh, I guess, foolishness.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I know is it like just a, a
0: funny thing you know I've heard it's <laughs> <laughs> like
1: it's hard to imagine he's that flippant writing the, yeah. the, the the gospel like ha-ha, this will really show him, yeah, like they made fun of me that one time, <laughs> and now I'm gonna get him for the rest of time, yeah, I probably not, but he he does i think he's doing it for our benefit if i had to if I had to mm. land somewhere with this, I would say Mark is portraying the disciples in a way that they are faithful responders to the call of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that in chapter one, Jesus calls them, they respond, and that's who we are. Like if you're reading this book, it's very likely that that's you, Mm -hmm. that you're responding to the call of Jesus, that you are eager to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. But as the story develops, we see just how flawed these people are and just just how much like us they are, right? It's very easy to identify with these disciples because we see them failing again and again. We see them misunderstanding what Jesus is saying mm-hmm. and even getting angry at him for saying certain things. We see them bickering among themselves. So there's, I think there's a question that's being asked throughout the book, which is, are the disciples going to remain disciples? Hmm. Uh, are the disciples going to be followers of Jesus or are they going to turn away from him? Right. We even saw last week that he starts to speak about their hardness of heart.
0: Yep. Yeah, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. So th- there's something happening here. As Jesus is speaking in these parables and he's confronting people's idols, all these things, he is polarizing people. And that's going to happen even with his own disciples. Right. Will they follow him or will they become his enemies? Hmm. It's, a, it's a very interesting question. So I want to focus on that a little more today. Are the disciples going to persevere in the narrative? And of course, we know the ending. We know that they all turn out well except for one. But... Let's just, as we go through this, think about this. Think about how they're responding and what's going on in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And then also consider our own response to Jesus. Right. You may have come to faith in Jesus and you may have started off on a great foot, but that doesn't guarantee that you are a follower of Jesus. No. Are you gonna persevere? Are you gonna show through your actions that you have true faith? Mm-hmm. It's an important question to ask. So let's dive into the text. We're in, we're in chapter eight. So we see in Mark Mark not just the feeding of the five thousand, but also the feeding of the four thousand. Lots of people getting fed, thousands and thousands of people getting fed. And there's a focus here actually on on the Gentiles, right? Because he's um, he's in this Gentile region. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's we won't get into details of that so much as as the response of the disciples. So the Pharisees confront Jesus after this this miracle. But there's also a a lack of understanding from the disciples. They're confused, their hearts are hardened, they're blind. Mm-hmm. This is very concerning. So look at chapter 8, verse 14. Now they'd forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So he's he's warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees, which we know later in the Ministry of Jesus is about. The, the teaching right the, te- the false teaching that is leavened throughout mm-hmm. and it causes damage to people and they assume he's speaking literally about bread he's saying watch I guess like I don't even know what they think he's saying <laughs> watch out that the Pharisees don't give you some of their bread with that like, bad leaven in it or something <laughs> <laughs> but they think he's he's basically saying because they don't have enough bread of course Jesus could just make more bread he just did it bread not a big deal for Jesus and Jesus aware of this verse 17 And he said to them do you not yet understand Hmm. so jesus is confronting them he's confronting them in a very strong way right because the disciples are confused but he's also saying that their hearts are hardened and he's speaking to them in the same terms that we heard in in chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 Mm -hmm. where isaiah is saying right they don't they don't understand they don't hear they don't see in other words these people are not the elect right they are not those chosen by god and so god is revealing their own judgment by their response to these parables. Hmm. Now now the disciples are being talked of in that way. Hmm. This is not encouraging. Like, <laughs> is Jesus going to have anyone left on his side by the end right. of this? So how are they going to respond? Are they going to stay faithful to Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's a huge question. And the, the next miracle is really all about the disciples. Right. So the next miracle it happens, so the following verse, verse 22 of chapter 8, what happens is a blind man is brought out, and Jesus heals him, in two stages, very very strange and unique. Mm-hmm. so what happens is verse twenty two Jesus spit on his eyes, that's gross, and <laughs> laid his hands on him, and he asked him, "Do you see anything?" And the man looked up and said, "I see people, but they look like trees walking." Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly so this is this is very unique. It's a miracle that seems to be only partially effective. (laughs) So Jesus heals the guy, and he sees walking trees, right? This is Lord of the Rings here. Yeah, The Ents are among us. And then Jesus heals him again, and he's fully healed. Mm -hmm. So why... I I, my first thought was always why does this how does this blind guy know what trees look like? (laughs) But then I realized he's not he wasn't born blind, Mm -hmm. right? We see that in in John nine. That's a unique thing as well. So this guy could see at some point. So he understood what trees looked like, but he's not the healing doesn't seem to be effective. Mm. And I think what Jesus is doing here, and a lot of people would agree with this, is Jesus is demonstrating through this miracle what is going on with his own disciples, Mm. that they're at this place where they don't see clearly but they're also not blind mm-hmm. and that they they are looking around and they're seeing everyone like trees walking. Mm. They, they, they can't understand the message of Jesus. They're They're confused. And so they're in this halfway place and mm. Jesus is calling them to fully understand and to fully respond to the gospel. Mm. But this is also the nature of discipleship sometimes is that right. we get to this point where we really believe in Jesus, but we can't Fully believe, and we're still weak, and we're still flawed, right. and so Jesus is working that same miracle in His disciples, mm. and He's going to be doing that progressively over time. Yeah, Amen. So we have this weird, this weird miracle, but I think it's it's for a purpose. Mm. And it's interesting that the next verse from there is actually the center of the book. It's this pivotal moment that then leads into Jesus beginning to journey toward Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which is the confession of Peter. So again, we won't go through that again because we at Matthew, but. Jesus is. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? There's that theme again, right? Who is Jesus? And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. That's the key question. And it's a key question for us too. So Jesus is focusing on his identity, who he is, and Peter responds truthfully yeah. and gets praised for it, right? That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, here he just says, you are the Christ. And, and then we see Jesus Speaking to his disciples so in verse 31 we see this actually this is a repeated like a cycle a theme here That Mm -hmm. happens in chapter 8 chapter 9 chapter 10 where the same things happen again and again So Mm -hmm. Jesus is gonna predict his death his disciples won't understand it and then he will give them a lesson on discipleship yep, so here it's He speaks to you know He must suffer and die and be raised and then Peter confronts him (laughs) and Jesus calls him Satan of course (laughs) Um, and then he says If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Hmm. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So, Yeah, this is like that cost of discipleship verse right here. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, this is what I will do. You don't understand it yet, but I'm calling you to a life of discipleship and a life of suffering and sacrifice. So this is the call of Jesus again and again
0: in the Gospels. Yeah, I, I mean, I... You Know just rewinding just a little bit. I can't, you know, whenever I see Mark's perception on his and his brothers, brother disciples, and stuff, it's just funny. Oh man, you guys are hard of heart. Oh man, you guys are like Satan. <laughs> so it's like, okay, who are these people that are following Jesus? <laughs> that's right, that's right.
1: Mark's like, hey, I may have been naked in the garden, okay, yeah. but yeah, but you guys, you guys yeah, I, who knows, who knows. Good. So chapter 9, we see, um, again, more <laughs> revelation about the identity of Jesus mm-hmm. as he is transfigured. And again, we said this the Son of God, that phrase is really going, or the idea of Jesus' sonship, is going to frame the book in important ways. Mm. So we saw it in chapter 1, the very first verse, we saw it in his baptism, where right. God speaks from heaven. And then transfiguration is almost like a baptism part two, mm. it's like the same thing is happening, right? The heavens are being opened. There's a right. a voice coming down, and Jesus is spoken of in verse seven as God's beloved son. Mm. So God says the same thing. God, God the Father doesn't say a whole lot in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Basically, whenever or sorry, the Gospel of Mark, whenever he speaks, basically he's saying, "This is my son. This is <laughs> my son." Like he's speaking to the identity of Jesus, so right. you can't miss it, right? And again, kingship is present there, but probably something a lot more, speaking to his divinity as well. So, so the transfiguration re-identifies Jesus as the Son of God. And then we see uh, this miracle, which I think it kind of builds upon the miracle of um, the blind man with the the, the walking trees guy, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a similar kind of a miracle. And I, I'm always really encouraged by it, but this this father who has a a son with an unclean spirit. And Jesus, you know, asks him the question. So verse 21, Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And the father says, from childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Mm. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Right. So he confronts the... The very weak statement there, Yeah. right? Really, that's how you're going to speak to me? <laughs> if I can't, no, you got to believe. And the man responds in a great way in verse 24. So honest, he says, "I believe. Help my unbelief."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That that phrase, I've known a lot of got young guys that have disciples who've had a that's like been a sticking point for them. They don't understand what he's saying there. And for to me, it makes immediate sense. Mm-hmm. I believe Jesus. I believe you can do this but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. No no I I know I, I know you can do it but I also still have doubts and I still need your help. Right. Is the idea. It's the same as I see but I only see part way. I don't see mm-hmm. clearly. And so that's what he's saying here is he believes but he still has unbelief lingering and he needs Jesus to help him with that. Yeah. And man, what a great cry of faith for every believer. Yeah, I believe help my unbelief. Yeah, amen. I want to be that person that is rock solid, never tossed about, never doubting. Mm -hmm. And yet I often am. Mm -hmm. So I need Jesus' grace even in my, my faith. Right. Yep. Like we tend to think of the way the Bible speaks of faith as if you're saved by your faith, meaning you're like, you're saved by the strength of your faith. Mm -hmm. Like the stronger your faith is, the more guarantee that you're going to be saved. Where Really the idea is faith is depending on God to do something that you can't. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it almost precludes weakness, you know it's like inherent in the ideas that you can't do it right so to then focus on like I don't ever doubt I'm amazing at faith somewhat misses the point of what Jesus is right. trying to show us is just that we're weak so I love that I love that God is gracious, even when our faith is weak, right yeah, so awesome awesome uh passage and then the disciples were trying to cast this demon out and they couldn't, and so Jesus gives that very famous. Um, statement there, that this kind, verse 29, this kind can, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So this is, you have to turn to God in, in faith, uh, pray to Him, and there's certain things that are, are more difficult in life, and we can take a lot of application for that personally as well. But but then again in chapter 9, at the very end here, well, sorry, not the end, verse 30, Jesus again speaks to His, his death and resurrection, and then in verse 32, That says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So again, just like chapter 8, right, that he prophesies his death, resurrection, they don't understand what he's saying, Mm -hmm. and then he speaks to discipleship. So he goes on to speak about, you know, um, that you shouldn't call yourself the greatest, but become like a little child. Mm -hmm. So he gives him a lesson on discipleship. In chapter 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler. I don't think we dealt with this much in the Gospel of Matthew, mm-hmm. so it'd be good to to think of here as well. But this is another great lesson in discipleship for us. I, I love this, this passage. So what happens, of course, is the the rich this rich young man comes up to Jesus, eager to to you know gain the kingdom of heaven, right? To to gain eternal life, and Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, I, got "I'm I'm great at that. That's yep. my I'm, I'm the best." And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And the man goes away sorrowful, hmm. for he was very rich. So the idea here is Jesus is confronting him at what he loves the most, and the man won't lay it down for Jesus. Right. So it's a good, great lesson in discipleship. Yep. But I really love the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples right after this, which is that they are shocked. They, uh, Jesus says in verse 23, he says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth. To enter the kingdom of god and the disciples were amazed at his word so why are they amazed i think from our current perspective the the context that we're in culturally we think what jesus is saying here is rich people bad poor people good mm-hmm. right so it's hard for a rich person into of heaven but it's easy for a poor person mm-hmm. i i really don't think that's what he's saying here mm-hmm. i don't see any indication of that especially when you look at the rest of scripture like if you look if you read proverbs wealth seems to be a sign of righteousness right so when this guy's coming forward saying he's a young guy he's a rule in the synagogue he's or he's a you know spiritual leader of sorts he's wealthy all of these things are are good mm-hmm. it's not knocking on him for being rich right rich like being rich very often means that you have disciplined yourself you've practiced wisdom you've given done good investments you haven't just fridged away your wealth mm-hmm. so biblically speaking I mean look Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. You can go through a long list of people that were very wealthy, and it's actually seen as a sign of God's blessing. Hmm. So in their context, like when Job loses all of his wealth, his friends don't, don't immediately say, wow, you're now a good person. Before <laughs> you were bad, you were one of those capitalists. Right. No, they, they say, what did you do wrong? Right. God hates you. Yeah. And, and that was a common viewpoint, right? So the blessing of God included material possessions. So when the disciples respond to this, I think, what, I think what Jesus is saying here is he's saying it's, it's, impo- it's impossible to go to heaven by your own merit. Mm-hmm. He's going, man, rich people can't get to heaven. Right. He's not saying poor people can't. He's saying no one can and that's So right. their, response, their response here is that they're amazed. And Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. So in that sense, he's just speaking about it's difficult,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Period. And then he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so, again, I, a camel is big, right. bigger than me. I don't know the size exactly of a camel. Maybe like the width of this room. Eye of a needle, it, it's not going to fit. Okay, <laughs> so I just, without going through all the mechanics there, it will not fit through <laughs> the eye of a needle, no matter how hard you push, no matter how much uh, Vaseline you put on the camel, that's the point, right, is it's impossible. And so the response of the disciples, again, is that they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, then who can be saved? Mm-hmm. So they get it. They're not saying, oh, yeah, rich people, boo, poor people, yay. They're saying, if that guy, if it's impossible for him, it's impossible for all of us. Right. And Jesus responds by affirming that. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Yeah. So that's the point, is he's saying, salvation, um, whatever you think might benefit you, and that's, I think, one thing that would be, in a sense, harder for a rich person to go to heaven than a poor person, is that a rich person could look and say, look at all I've achieved. Mm-hmm. God must love me because of all I've achieved. That is a stumbling block. Yeah. But uh, but really what he's pointing out is that it's impossible for everyone. Right. And it's only possible through God. Right. That is the point. God is the one who makes this possible through a miraculous work of Jesus, and that is the only hope that we have. Yeah. So the rich young ruler is a great picture of discipleship, but also a reminder that God is the one who does everything. We fully fall in his grace. Yeah, amen. Third time in chapter 10, he predicts his death. They don't understand it. It's so verse 32. <laughs> they don't understand it. And then he begins to speak to them about discipleship in this account with James and John asking mm-hmm. to be at his right hand. He's teaches them about discipleship and about how Jesus, the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of life that is a life lived in discipleship is to follow in those footsteps. Mm -hmm. Notice just quickly in chapter 10, the end here, the healing of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is named here. So this account is given in different gospels, but he's named here, Mm -hmm. which indicates that again, Mark had eyewitness accounts. Mm very close to the time, he's identifying someone who I guess maybe was known, so that was important for him to mention the name. But Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David two times. Mm. So this is the first time that that phrase is introduced, but it's going to be important in the uh, entrance into the city as well. So he's the son of David, the son of God. These are all important phrases to help identify who Jesus is. So chapter 11, we have the, the last major section of the Gospel of Mark where he's entering into the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is entering into the city. So this is Palm Sunday, the Sunday of Passion Week, and we see him, again, by the, by the crowds being referred to as essentially the son of David. Right, verse, uh, verse 9, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they're starting to understand who Jesus is that's becoming clearer and they're now speaking this truth. Hmm. And so there's this this theme building as well as Jesus identity is being revealed, but once his identity is fully revealed it's going to cause right. Everything's going to go crazy, really. Yeah. So we see that we saw this rising tension in the gospel of Matthew, the authorities versus Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we'll we see the same thing in the gospel of Mark. The the authorities have already been challenging Jesus, but in passion week it becomes a direct challenge. So before it was things like hey, you guys you know, ate or you, you know, plucked some grain on the Sabbath or you didn't wash your hands properly, they're kind of catching them. Mm-hmm. Now they're really trying to find things to get mad about Jesus. Right. So they're asking him questions in order to trap him. Right. And it never works. They're horrible at this. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they get rejected by themselves pretty much. But they're, they, this conflict is growing and they're trying to trip him up. Mm-hmm. So we see this in chapter 12. And again, we saw some of these, so I won't go into too much detail here, but paying taxes to Caesar, right? G- they they bring up this topic, and Jesus responds brilliantly to them. Mm-hmm. They bring up the resurrection debate, you know, the whole one, guy mar- or one woman married seven guys. Right. Who is she going to be married to in the resurrection? And Jesus just totally sidesteps that and says, <laughs> you don't even understand what the resurrection is about. You have no <laughs> comprehension. There's no marriage in the resurrection. Right and their minds are completely blown, right? They look like complete fools. And uh, and then we see Jesus going on the... Well, first of all, actually, there's there's a little bit of window of hope here as well because look at, at verse 28. We see one of the scribes. So this is chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes comes up, and he asks him a sincere question. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus re- responds with the most important is Deuteronomy 6, right? Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the man responds by saying, wow, this really makes sense. And this is better than all the sacrifices and offerings in the world. Mm -hmm. And Jesus responds to a scribe, one of his enemies, (laughs) one of his sworn enemies. He responds, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Hmm. And then he proceeds to go on the offensive and ask them about who is the son of David but that's an interesting account because it raises the question for us of, well, are these people that are enemies of Jesus, are they going to be won over to him? Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll think about that in just a second after we finish this, this section. But it's an interesting question. And then we see Jesus challenging them with Psalm 110 and asking them the question of, well, who is the Messiah? Is he just the son of David? Right. That's already been revealed that he's the son of David. Mm-hmm. Or is he something more? Mm-hmm. Is he the Son of God? Is he right. a divine? He's the Eternal Son of God, and they can't answer that question. Right. That's kind of what's implied in that section. So Jesus is showing them who his who he is. He's Indeed. answering that question in many ways, kind of in roundabout ways, but to help us as the reader to come to a conclusion about Jesus. Hmm. Amen. So there's this this theme of conflict, and uh, and conflict is a constant in ministry. Yep, that's that's really the reality, but. I you know in the, this book I'm reading so I read through a couple different books when I prepare for this but uh, Frank Thielman has a book called The Theology of the New Testament and he poses the question that I asked at the beginning as something like it which is will Jesus's disciples remain faithful to him hmm. but then he also says that opposite question is being asked like I just pointed out which is will Jesus's enemies become his disciples mm-hmm. there's this also there's also this question being raised again and again when you see the scribe asking that question in chapter twelve, when you saw we saw Jairus in chapter five, the synagogue mm-hmm. ruler who is, um, who's coming to Jesus for help, yeah. we see Joseph of Arimathea at the, at the end of the gospel, asking for Christ's body, and so these are all like synagogue people. Yeah, and so the question has to be asked, not just will the disciples of Jesus become his enemies, but will the enemies become disciples?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it really is a fascinating question. Yeah, and again, it points to, to for us to what are we going to be? Mm. Are we going to follow after Jesus? Yeah, And that really, I guess, is the application to end with, which is, um, yeah, how are we going to respond to this message, which we've been asking. But also, I mean, just, just notice how much conflict comes in the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, If you are going to proclaim the good news, if you're going to be a person who speaks truth to people, you will have conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, and it may be because of your sin. It may not be. Yeah, Jesus did not sin. So, but he's in constant conflict because what he's doing, the message he's bringing, it disrupts. Right, it frustrates people. People are scared by it. Right, they want they want to know who he is, but they also want to remain blind to who he is, yeah. so they can keep living in sin. Yeah. So we'll have the same burden as we do ministry.
0: Yeah, Lord what a, willing. What a great reminder, and yeah, we need to, yeah, we need to understand that as Christians today that yeah, believing in God, um, heaps on conflict and sacrifice in our lives and it's a costly thing to be a christian Yep. so absolutely and it's getting more like that so
2: absolutely
1: so let's let's not just start well but let's end well yeah amen no let's expect that and let's end well in our walk with god
0: thanks for joining us for daily gospel we'll see you next week for the last section of the gospel of mark